You're listening to WCOM LP 103.5 FM Carborough and Chapel Hill. It's a Tuesday, it's five o'clock, and that only means one thing. It's time for another round of Snarky Faith with your host, Stuart Deloney. This is a space where we irreverently wrestle through life, culture, and spirituality, all with our heads in the clouds, our tongues in our cheeks, our hearts in our sleeves, and our feet on the ground. At Snarky Face, the questions or even the answers are never the point. It's all about the conversation. So here's your host, Stuart Deloney. Well, good afternoon and welcome to another round of Snarky Faith Radio. I'm your host, Stuart Deloney. And, and really, honestly, thank you, thank you, thank you for joining us this week. And a couple things, couple things. This has been, well, I feel like I... Uh, I begin most of my shows lately. It's been a weird week. Um, yes, yes. Much, 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 many, many things for us to talk about today on the show. First of all, I'm just going to give a little shout out to my my oldest son, James, um, and have a little bit of a dad moment here on the show. We had our second graduation of his <laughs> over the weekend. I uh, just graduated from high school. He was dual enrolled, so we got to have two graduations, two weirdly kind of virtual, not really virtual graduations. Um, but it was in the middle of a pandemic, I would say it was a very lovely moment uh, that his high school kind of had pulled off with us where they were moving family by family. <laughs> we had different slots to come to the school uh, to stop and wait social distance before we could go in and do all that. But in the end, it is a beautiful um it's a beautiful thing to begin to see my oldest boy um, grow up and move on out to whatever happens next. Um, what happens next? Uh, NC State School of Engineering for four years. Full scholarship. So yes, yes, yes. I love him even more because of that. <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, I am very proud of my son and I love him very much. And I'll be doing this again next year because my big girl. Yep. My oldest daughter's growing up too. So she'll be a senior next year as well. Uh, and if you guys are all saying nice, 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 empty nest syndrome. Yeah, folks, we still got many years before empty nest is going to happen in this house. So that's as much of the, the dad brag moments you're going to get here on the show. So moving on from that, let's hop over to some kind of big news, some kind of exciting news, some kind of, dare I say, good news. That's happening in the United States. Now, by the time you're listening to this show, you will already have heard this good news. But what I'm trying to do here is we're having a moment. We're having a moment. See, I record the show generally a day, 24 hours ahead of time before it actually hits the airwaves and probably two to three days before you guys actually get it on podcast. So I'm sitting here on Monday afternoon, June the 15th. And I want to share some news. I want to share some news. And this comes from Raw Story in an article uh, entitled Something That Will Make Us All Smile. Conservatives Enraged After Traitor. Neil Gorsuch writes, Landmark Pro-LGBT Ruling. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So wait, 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 wait. All the things that we can get excited about. Conservatives Enraged? <laughs> Calling Neil Gorsuch a traitor? What? Wait, no. But the important stuff is this. All that's fun. But even in the title, Landmark Pro-LGBT Ruling, mm -hmm. 
let me just go ahead and read a little bit of this article here that just kind of came through. Many conservatives were in a state of shock on Monday morning when they learned that Supreme Court uh, Justice Neil Gorsuch had authored a majority opinion stating that it is illegal for businesses to fire people for being gay or transgendered. Mm -hmm. And even though Gorsuch has been a reliable conservative on the Supreme Court throughout most of his tenure, he nonetheless joined Justice Chief John Roberts and liberal justices Ruth Bader Ginsburg, Kagan, Sotomayor, Breyer to rule that the existing civil rights law protects LGBT Americans from discrimination. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. So at least, hey, 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 have a little party with me right now as I'm listening to this and reading this in quasi real time. And you guys will have all had several days to digest this. But what? 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 Oh, yes. Yes, that existing civil rights laws project, protect LGBT Americans from discrimination in the workplace. Yes, 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 yes. So, hey, hey, this is amazing news. This is some good news in a time where we don't always get good news. Good news in a time that seems crazy where there seems to be no justice in the world. It seems that all of the hateful bigots kind of like to keep winning because there's a lot of them in office right now. But, but, but this is no small thing. This is no small thing. And I am, I'm excited. I'm doing my like mini little happy dance right here for this because, you know, equality is kind of a cool thing to have in a country, right? Yeah. And that's me understating it completely. That's me being way understated with this. Like, yeah, yeah. Equality should be essential. It should be essential. It should be essential. And now, in a small nugget moving forward, eh, a little more equality is going to be happening. A little more, a little more, a little more. It's it's baby steps, it's baby steps on the road to where we need to be. But <laughs> I just love the fact <laughs> that it was Gorsuch that uh, that authored it because yeah 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 how's that Trump guy looking for you guys now mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. no I'm not gloating I'm not gloating I actually am glad that Gorsuch honestly did the right thing where are you at Kavanaugh where are you at Kavanaugh oh oh I think he's too busy drinking beer but yes 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 so, uh, yes, I wanted to start this off with good news. Good news. We oftentimes go towards a little bit of the negative, a little bit of the crazy here on the show, but good news. Good news deserves it. In times of that, you know what's also good news? <laughs> in, in, okay, let's just, I'm going to be totally honest with you guys right now. As if I'm not, I think that's just a segue for me to tell this story. But I, I, I'm going to tell you, I'm so, I'm so excited for Trump's upcoming rally in Tulsa, Oklahoma. And I'm going to say I was a little sad they moved it off of Juneteenth. I mean, every bit of what they were planning was wrong and uh, insensitive and everything that you'd expect from Trump from the Trump administration, but, but really, I mean, they moved it today. So now it's going to happen on, on June 20th in Tulsa, Oklahoma, the spot that has had a lot of racial issues there, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. including a massacre, including a massacre. Yeah. Just a little over hundred years ago. Yeah. Yeah. Now, in no way am I making light of the Tulsa massacre. That's not what I mean at all, because if you do not know about this, it is a 
black, one of our many stains, one of the many stains against the African-American community. Uh, and there are many, there are many, there's like, there's so many stains. I don't think we can actually see what it looked like before really any, and our nation's history against all people of color and indigenous folks as well too, uh, are not great. But yes, in 1921, a white mob attacked a predominantly black area in Tulsa, killing hundreds of people and destroying the country's wealthiest African-American community. So uh, Trump decides to schedule a rally on Juneteenth and in Tulsa. So there's all these, like, I feel like all these, like, like it, it just amazes me that, that Trump, Trump has like this ability to blow racist whistles, just like, like how he breathes he, or how he overbreathes. <laughs> How he overbreathes or sniffs. Um, yes, he does. It, it, it just, for some reason, he's just attracted to it. He just has to run straight to it. Like, like I, yeah, yeah, yeah. So I was hoping this would be a total cluster F. It's still going to be a cluster F, but not quite as much as one. Aw, satin. But yes, I, <laughs> prayers are for the city of Tulsa because this ain't going to be pretty. This ain't going to be pretty. But, 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 but. The preparation for this rally did give me one of the most hilarious sound bites of anything that I've heard all last week from our new oh, bottle blonde press secretary. It's, I mean, come on. This girl needs to be in stand-up comedy. This is, this is just fire, fire. It's, it's amazing. So just when Boone asked about the original plans for the new Trump rally in the middle of the coronavirus and why he was doing it on Juneteenth, this, this is what she answered. And it's, mm -hmm. it, it's, it's everything you would hope it would be. Look, President Trump is, the African-American community is very near and dear to his heart. Um, at... <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I mean, the punchline's so good. The punchline's so good. You didn't get to hear the rest of what she was saying, but that the African-American community is near and dear to Trump's heart. I mean, on so many levels, that's just, that is gold. That is like comedy gold. <laughs> a, Trump has a heart. B, the African-American community is near and dear to it. <laughs> that's just great. It's hilarious. It, see, that's the snarkiness of what's happening here in the show if you haven't, like, listened before because that's me being sarcastic and laughing about how the press secretary just lies. I mean, this is beautiful. She finally, Trump finally found her, her, his, his blonde troll to be a press secretary, and it's glorious because everything that she says... None of it's true. I think half the time she just makes it up on the spot. So well done. Well done. Ah, uh, goodness. So over the past, over the past couple of episodes, uh, we have been, we've kind of had a thread running through these talking about power and leadership and what are the, what are the ways that it is supposed to look like, look like meaning that like, <laughs> What what are positions of, of leadership and what are positions of power? What should that look like when we are talking about them in the mold of Christ? So we've been going through that over the past couple of weeks. And, and I want to share a little word because we're kind of going through some, a little bit of what's going on right now. 
um, I want to share a good word from one of our listeners too. And this came from this came from my new friend Sarah. So hey, Sarah, <laughs> Sarah, who didn't think I would actually I responded to emails, but uh, I do, I do. So for anyone out there that wants to write to the show and uh, either give feed, give feedback, give criticism, call me a heretic, call me whatever you want to. Uh, but yes, but if anyone is interested in kind of talking back uh, with me and the show, I will answer emails. Uh, questions at snarkyfaith.com. I am always open to these. And I I, I want to I say, Sarah, I am blown away. Um, by you. And I was, I'm really, really excited to meet you, my new friend. And Sarah had, had reached out to the show, um, and also shared with me an article that she'd recently written, um, and for her church newsletter, which I'm going to say is, is very awesome and brave. And Sarah is, um, a writer and an activist. And as she puts it, she is a proud, progressive, liberal Christian, bisexual woman of color who resides in a very conservative <laughs> Midwestern state. Uh, so as for many of uh, the listeners out there that, that live in conservative Midwestern states, yeah, yeah. Everyone say hi to Sarah. Hi, Sarah. So I, Sarah had shared this with me, and, and I loved it. And I want to continue, um, like we're doing on the show, to, to get different voices up here behind the microphone. And this isn't really Sarah being behind the microphone. This is me using Sarah's words. But I'm also looking forward to having more people behind microphones too, to be sharing different voices here. And, and here's Sarah's article, which I, I, I loved. I loved it. I loved it. And, and I loved Sarah's heart with this. And so this is what Sarah wrote as she was kind of opening up her heart to what's going on right now to her church. And in much of what this is, I think this is the heart that we need to be saying to the church. These are Sarah's words. We are in the midst of an epoch. As a nation attempts to bounce back from the coronavirus, symptoms of another virus, once again, has been magnified for the whole world to see. This is a virus that has infected us for centuries, and if you are part of a very fortunate few, the disease will lay dormant. Perhaps you'll be asymptomatic, not knowing that you or a loved one is a carrier until someone or something makes you aware of the poison lurking inside you. Or, like me and my brothers and sisters of color, and not only are we so exposed to the illness that we've become involuntary carriers by decades of exposure, but someone unlike you. Many of us will die before ever living long enough to obtain the cure. This ailment that I speak of does not include a hospital visit for a cough or a fever. Instead, it involves bigotry and racism, abuses of those in power, who are outraged at those who choose to take a knee, but gave nothing of merit to say when a knee is cemented into the neck of a man who's using his last bit of breath to say, I can't breathe. For communities of color throughout the world, and especially here in the land of the three and the home of the brave, for me, for my 39 years, we've been screaming to the masses that we too can't breathe. We can't breathe when we hear of a black woman getting shot in her own home for leaving a door open, we can't breathe when a black man gets shot for jogging. We can't breathe when the idea of us barbecuing in a park with our family is so offensive that the cops are called on us. We can't breathe when we are told that our hair braided, locked or growing outward in coiled crowns on the heads of black kings and queens is unprofessional. 
or when being told that all lives matter while black and brown lives are at risk for being created in an alternative image of God. I can keep going, but the pain of this reality is overwhelming. So what do we do now? As there's no easy solution, like pray the injustice away, we can start small. We start with us. We start admitting that we, myself included, have a problem. We need to accept that we all carry racial or ethnic biases and isms to a certain degree. After we acknowledge this, we can take action to move from saying that we are non-racist who don't see color to becoming active anti-racists who continually check our hearts on a daily, hourly, minute-by-minute basis. We pledge to teach new generations who follow us that hatred is not a family value. And if by chance... We were raised to believe that it was. We, as a collective community, unlearn. Peace. I want to, I want to thank Sarah. I want to thank Sarah and, and everyone else out there that is doing their best to raise voices of awareness. Because we can even assume in safe spaces like churches that, oh, yeah, 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 right, 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 churches, yeah, yeah. It's not, this is a safe space. It's not a racist space. But we know that's all not true. And, and for all of the Sarahs out there, I want to continue to encourage everyone to be able to use your voice. To use your voice to change the tide of things that are happening now. Use your voice to protest. Use your voice to help others. Use your voice to be able to lift up stories of others who are not heard. Stories of those who are marginalized and stories of those who people don't care to hear. And I think we all need to become better acquainted with our own stories in order, in order to be able to elevate other people's stories. And we're going to be talking about that aspect of it a bit today um, in our discussion on leadership. But far be it from me, far be it from me to undo the way... (laughs) the way this show is and the way that I've made this show up to be. Because before we get to the choice cuts of conversation, the choice cuts of meat, we've got to go through. We've got to go through all the bad examples of this. Mm -hmm. And our segment that we have continuing on called The Christian Crazy. So without further ado, let's descend into The Christian Crazy once again, my friends. Here we go. Claude Hammers, the Lord is my shepherd. He know what I want. Ah, yes, the Christian crazy, the place where we highlight the insanity of Christianity. And (laughs) and there's no better way to just go ahead and give us a little starter into what the hell this is. Well, insanity in Christianity, you want to hear it? Oh, let's start with Texas Lieutenant Governor Dan Patrick, who, who has got an answer. He's got an answer on how we need to start the healing process after George Floyd's death. And, and really, really all, like, I, he's, he's got it. He's got it. How, how do we combat racism within American culture? <laughs> Dan Patrick, Lieutenant Governor of Texas, says we need to turn to God. Ah, <laughs> oh, Dan, thank you so much. And shut the fuck up. That's not helpful. That's not helpful. 
that's not helpful at all. And thus, the asshat continued. We've got a lot of healing to do, and we can't do it unless we turn to God. And we need to know, we need to do that more than ever. I'm trying not to preach. I just know the truth. (laughs) We have a country where we've been working really hard, particularly on the left, to kick God out. You cannot change culture of a country till you change the character of mankind. And you can't change that unless you change the heart. And for billions of us on the planet, we we believe you can't do that unless you accept Jesus Christ for, or unless you accept God. So, yes, yes, yes. So, uh, Jesus fixes it all. That's it. <laughs> Racism done. Jesus fixes everything. (laughs) It's like he's the new Jared Kushner, except Jared's really white. Sorry, Jesus. Jared does more because he's white. I'm just joking here. Jared Kushner deserves all of our prayers because poor Jared has been stuck in puberty for like the last like 30 years. So one day, one day, Jared, you'll pull through. You'll exit puberty and eventually find peace in the Middle East. No, Dan Patrick, what? Oh, I like it. I like, that's like Christianity's answer to it. So if there was less sin, we wouldn't have racism. So everyone needs Jesus. That's what we need to do, right? Racism, sin, Jesus, it fixes it all, right, people? I'm glad this guy is the Lieutenant Governor of Texas. That's some solid advice from the Lieutenant Governor of Texas. Yeah. I mean, I expect that. I expect that out of the rest of the idiots. We're going to highlight in the Christian crazy, but but really, out of a lieutenant governor saying that really that Jesus is the only fix to racism in America, sure, fine. If we all acted like Jesus, that would be great. But being able to tell people you need to accept Jesus and pray a prayer and racism, pfft, gone. Because <laughs> if Jesus was all you needed to solve racism, what's up with the Southern Baptist Church? I have no idea. Me either. <laughs> so apparently, even mentioning Jesus doesn't clear racism from the Southern Baptist Church or other conservative churches. <laughs> I don't, I, so we can't use that anymore. That's not necessarily fair on Jesus. I've read the labels on the back of Jesus, and he's actually not meant to do that. So you're really using him in a manner that he was never meant to use, kind of like hydroxychloroquine. <laughs> we know all that went. Fix the coronavirus. Aces, America. We're doing great. Thanks, Trump. Sorry, I'm just spiraling out of control right now. So let's go ahead and hop in on some fantastic summer advice. Many of you, even though you're still in quarantine, you're looking towards getting your summer bod back in shape, wanting to get shredded and drop some weight. Well, guess what? Rick Wiles from True News inadvertently is actually has a new cure on how to drop some weight. Like specifically, I'm thinking like, I don't know, around five or 10 pounds, like almost instantly. (laughs) Rick. If a Jacobin revolution is turned loose on America, Christians will be beheaded. I never thought I would say on this program that there is a high probability of Christians being beheaded in the United States of America. And for Christians, beheading is one of the new, it's one of the new summer fashion trends. Looking to lose 8 to 12 pounds instantly. Want to look great. Want to look great in your swimsuit. So great, you won't even be able to see yourself. (laughs) You just need to embrace Jacobin revolutions from the, what the hell, like late... (laughs) 
the late 1700 French Revolution. I don't even know what he's talking about. But again, Rick Wiles of True News, they literally have White House press credentials and published all the time. Uh-huh, uh-huh, because Rick's worried about... Yeah, I don't even really know what Rick's getting at. But do we ever? Do we ever? Because you know he said this. The Republic is over. End of story. And I honestly can't think of a reason I should continue True News. I started 22 years ago pleading. Our name was America's Hope. Jesus Christ is America's only hope. I pleaded and pleaded and pleaded. America, you're on the wrong path. If you don't turn, come back to God. Great trouble is ahead. So let me be honest. I know I'm in the middle <laughs> of a sarcastic, snarky segment here. But I feel like, I kind of feel like what Rick is getting at here, he's just missing the point. Like, he's just missing a, a very, like, essential point to what he's been doing for the past 20 years. He's mi missing a very essential point of kind of, like, everyone needs Jesus, but, like, then we need to follow the teachings of Jesus that talk about loving others and everyone having a seat at God's table, people being equal in God's eyes and being created in God's eyes and all these issues that we're dealing with now, like systemic racism and uh, police brutality and injustice in America and conservatives trying to take away the rights of folks from the LGBTQ community as well, too. Uh, so, yeah, yeah, it was going down. And if we do return to God, what does God tell us? God tells us to love people. That's what Rick's getting wrong. So, like, somehow Rick believes returning to God means somehow we need to go out and yell more at people condemn people more, call out people and say they are disgusting in God's eyes more. No, 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 no. That's that's where he went wrong. But if people do need to know the teachings in, of Jesus, I, I would actually be with you, Rick. Like, if we want to teach the world how to be more loving and humane, how to take care of creation, how to uh, mend our communities, how to uh, help one another, how to move our planet towards being sustainable, how we can, yes, 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 transform our lives into being transformative and helpful for the entire community that we find ourselves in, the country that we're in, the world that we're in. Yes, 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 this should be a, a equality and, and love revolution that is happening all based on the teachings of Jesus. Now, Rick's mad because he's not getting his way. Rick's mad because he thinks the conservative way is losing, and it is. But what he's also missing, which is the biggest point of this, is Jesus. Kind of the center of all of his argument, kind of the center of his whole reason for starting True News, being able to say Jesus is the only way, except Rick, Jesus wasn't white. Jesus taught us to be humble. Jesus taught us to be self-sacrificial and selfless and to love others and to extend grace and to be compassionate and to be able to see that God created everyone, that every human, every human is made in God's image. You know, that thing, that's great, Rick. I wish you would have taken that and run with it. Instead, <laughs> you're sad. You're declaring the Republic over because you don't get your own white way. Oh, <laughs> Rick, I'm sorry. I'm really not. I'm really not. 
but I would hope that someone like Rick at this time would be able to see, wow, okay. Like the path that I have been on is not the right path, right? Like, so Rick, Rick, Rick had an idea. Rick ran with it. Rick is realizing that it's failed, but Rick is not asking the questions of, Hey, did I kind of lose the plot along the way? Like was something lost or do I just declare this whole thing, this whole world, a failed experiment. Now that is the small man answer towards answering. This This is blaming everyone else. And, and I think this is, this is as good a time as any to go ahead and just hop on into our main story because we've got more frivolity in the Christian crazy. But I think Rick is actually proving a point that I didn't realize he was proving earlier is that our stories are very powerful. And I know I've talked about this recently, but we're going to kind of hone in more on, on what leadership and what power structures look like when we filter them through the, the teachings of Jesus, right? So we have folks like Dan Patrick, Lieutenant Governor of Texas, or Rick Wiles from True News being able to lecture us and tell us, oh, all we, all we, all we, all we need is Jesus. Great, great, great. So, so their words I agree with, their application of what they mean their words to mean, I disagree with. But I think Rick Wiles can actually begin to show us a weird kind of architect or a, a, a blueprint, a blueprint for where we left off last week. Because last week we were talking about the powers of, of vulnerability. And our past four or five episodes, and if you want to catch up with these, with what we've been talking about, you can find them anywhere. You can find Snarky Faith anywhere they publish podcasts, or you can go to our website, www.snarkyfaith.com. Uh, for the past uh, four or five episodes, we've been, we've been talking about structures of power. And I've been basing this off of one of my old uh, professor's books, uh, Wilmer Villacorta, one of his books, Tug, Tug of War, called The Downward Ascent of Power. And, and as we're having this, this, this conversation, and I'm kind of, honestly, I didn't kind of see those connections until <laughs> I started talking these out. But I want to start with, with a quote from, um, from Jürgen uh, Moltmann, uh, who said this, one, one who is not empowered with suffering is not able to love, and vice versa. For, for Christian faith, suffering love is finally the greatest thinkable or believable. One more time. One who is not empowered with Christian suffering is not able to love and vice versa. For Christian faith, suffering love is finally the greatest power thinkable or believable. And as we were hearing people like the Lieutenant Governor of Texas talk about this, that all we need is Jesus. Now, he's offering lip service without any investment without any suffering to what he is saying. So he's simply throwing out a very blank blanket statement that truly means nothing, like zero, unless you're already a conservative Christian. So he is speaking towards conservative Christians who will applaud him for saying the word Jesus publicly to the press. Now, they don't even care. They don't even care the nonsense he's spewing. They don't even care if the way he's even invoking Jesus even makes sense. They just like the idea that Jesus' name is being spoken in front of people. And that is what evangelicals and Christians, that, that, that's where they have gone wrong within this. 
somehow the name Jesus needs to be spoken, but the ways and teachings of Jesus, what are those? Like, what is Jesus calling us to do? No, no, no. We just need to keep saying, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. We need to have the word God in, a, in our schools. We need to have the word God in our courthouses. We need that word. Like, because somehow, oddly enough, once you get to it, conservative Christians in the far right, honestly, they would run as far as they can from anything like spells and witchcraft. But the way they talk about Jesus and use Jesus, they're acting like they're in Harry Potter and they're throwing down a spell um, against someone. Jesus Christ! I've got you. No, 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 no. Sorry. But getting back to Rick Wiles' story, a story of a man who started something because he wanted to make a difference and a man who went down a path that led him to where he's at right now where he's spewing Jacobin nonsense on TV in the name of Jesus. Now, all of us have, have come to these places and as, as we're going through like this idea of vulnerability, our, our stories are sacred when we own them. Now, I'm going to be kind of hammering home on this a bit today. And I know in past shows we've talked about the power of stories, but I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to make a quick... I'm, I'm going to just make that this, this, this a quick amount of clarity here. But our stories are sacred when, when, when we own them. And, and the distinctive difference that I'm making here is that when we are able to share our stories that include the vulnerability, that include when we have succeeded, but we have also failed, that, 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 that show our stories, our stories are the only currency that we have with us. The economy can go down. The, the as Rick had said, the republic can be over. We can be living in chaos or a third world country or, or whatever, but our stories are who identify who we are, what our values are, and, and they really encapsulate what kind of stories we are going to tell to other people. And, 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 and when I talk about that, when I talk about sharing our stories, and we mentioned a lot of this before, but vulnerability is... And it's the one key that Rick is lacking here in this. Because vulnerability says, maybe I was wrong. Maybe I, I had the right reasons for starting this, for starting down this path. But at some point, I realized it was taking me where I did not want to go. And in a moment of vulnerability, I had to admit my own faults and admit that where I was going was not consistent with where I wanted to go. And I had to correct my course. See, that would have been a powerful statement from Rick Wiles. Instead, he's blaming everybody else. He's done everything right the entire time. True News has done what it's supposed to do. And screw all of y'all because you didn't do what you were supposed to do. And that is like little man leadership. But Richard Rohr also exemplifies this idea of vulnerable exchanges and the power of things. Uh, of vulnerable exchanges. He says, when the vulnerable exchange happens, there is always a broadening of being on both sides. We are bigger and better people afterwards. 
So when we are vulnerable, there is always a broadening of being on both sides, being bigger and better people afterwards. And, and as we talk about leadership and as we talk about what power structures should look like if we are following after the ways and the teachings of Jesus, we cannot escape the power of vulnerability and the power of vulnerability mixed in with our stories. Because our vulnerability says, I was wrong. I didn't go where I was supposed to go. I didn't do it. I was short-sighted. I didn't see it. I was, I was too driven by, by my own self-glorification or my own hubris or, or my own desire to make other people in my community happy or my church happy with me. I, I, was, I, I was driven by things that, that, that weren't me. Because our stories become more and more powerful when we are able to speak about the times things don't go our way. Like, like, think of this, think of this. When people are honest and they're real, and those times that you know someone who has really just opened up and rawly shared their heart with you, they were unfiltered, they were just real and raw, and you were there and you were listening and that you knew that they were being honest and true. In those moments, it does expand both of you. You are able to see that, oh my gosh. And, and, and I think that this is, this is something that we as humans try to, we actively try to cover up. The fact that we are human. <laughs> oh my gosh, that person's story. They are being raw and they are real and they are being vulnerable. And they're telling about how they missed the mark, how they screwed up, how they didn't, weren't enough. Or how life just went in a sideways direction, unbeknownst to them. And we hear those stories. We're able to hear our own stories because, come on, guys, we all know this. Life does not go the way we want it to go. I mean, 2020, everyone? Like, anyone? 2020? <laughs> Hello? Yes. But when we're able to powerfully mine our own stories and be able to powerfully own our own stories and then share those stories. It creates an effect where you give some people, not everyone's going to do this, but you give other people the courage to begin to own their stories. And when people begin to own their stories, you begin to see the power in collective stories, the power in collective humanity. We begin to get real. We begin to get honest. And we are real and we are honest and we've let all the BS go to the wayside. That's when we can begin to make real progress. When we are not here to stand up and throw out different vague platitudes or speak to different political or religious platforms. And we we're able to honestly be up there almost just emotionally uh, naked with one another and be able to talk about the trueness, the realness, the rawness, the dirtiness, the goodness, the badness of our own stories. It changes other people because it gives people the courage and the power to begin to own their own stories. And we 
need more of that now. Because us living into who we actually are, who we truly are as humans, in our own communities, in our own ways, in our own voices, and in our own spaces, that begins to create a new system of power. A system of power that's not about money, that's not about political clout, that's not even about military power. The power of story can't be squashed or killed by a gun. You can't put the knee to the neck of a story because stories continue on without us. George Floyd's story continues on. Almond Aubrey's story continues on. Breonna Taylor's story continues on. So for you, dear listener, who needs to hear your story? Like your real story. Who needs to hear it so that they can say, oh my God, me too. I'm not the only one. Because I'm going to tell you this. I've, I've told this. It was, it was, it's been a while since I've probably told this in the show, but um, it, it, it's one of my finer examples of, of what is the power of story. And I, I had been, I, I'd gotten hired to work at a, it was a, a large church um, that uprooted my family from where we were at. We moved across country. We moved everything as far as you can go, east coast to west coast. And I started working in this very large church, and it was from the get-go incredibly unhealthy, incredibly unhealthy church. Uh, the staff very just spiritually kind of beat down and oppressed, and just kind of you just do what you do. And for me, being the newbie coming to the place was like, uh, no, this is weird. This is toxic. This is bad. This is everything else. And I was at least trying to set out to change to make the area that I was over very healthy, uh, which was always met with resistance from unhealthy people. Um, and a friend of mine was a counselor. And I'd been really just going to him to stay sane. Uh, because when you move far, far, far away from family and support systems and everything. When you uproot your entire family for a crap-paying job at a church because you think you're doing God's work and you're in the middle of nowhere in a strange town and you're being told you're constantly wrong and you're crazy and you just need to get with the picture and that this church is the right way that we're doing stuff, it can start to really mess with your head. But being a person that doesn't really follow blindly or easily, uh, that didn't gel well with me. So I'm sitting down with my friend who's a counselor and he'd been friending me, really was counseling me um, for free. And I remember him sitting in his office and he's like, Stuart, I need to do something for you. So he leaves and he goes to uh, another room in his office. Uh, I don't even know what he's doing. Uh, 10 minutes later, he comes back. He's like, I want you to come in here. And he's got someone on speakerphone. And he's like, I want you, I'm not going to tell you who this is. I'm never going to tell you who this is. I want you to uh, just say everything you've been telling me um, about the place you're working at and why you think it's unhealthy and why you feel like you're crazy. And I'm like, uh, okay, because I trusted this person well enough. All right. So I tell the person whom I don't know um, on, in the speakerphone what I've been going through, why I feel like I'm crazy, and why, yeah, this is all messed up. And the guy at the other end goes, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he tells me very clearly, sir, I'm going to tell you that you're not crazy. That you are absolutely correct in everything that you were seeing and that the way that that church is handling things is very sick and it is unhealthy because I was in your position five or six years before you were. 
And I was saying the exact same things. And for me, that one anonymous conversation, which is also weird, I'll tell you another story another time, but <laughs> eventually I learned later that that dude became my boss at another job I had later. That's another weird story for another time. But, but me being able to hear the power of someone's story, the power of someone's words, it was able to give me the courage to know that my convictions were true, that I wasn't crazy, and that I needed to stay the course for what I was doing. Story has the power to topple empires, but it also has the power to be able to inspire a person to keep going and doing the good work that they are doing. So in your life right now, who do you need to be telling your story to? Who do you need to be sharing it with? And I will tell you, this is not an easy thing to do. It is a vulnerable place. It is a place where you are opening yourself up potentially for the pain of rejection. Um, and you're opening yourself up for potential struggle. But again, but again, did Jesus say that the right, right path was easy? No, he did not. And I started one of our talks uh, quoting <clears throat> Jürgen Moltmann, and I'm going to do it again because I feel like it fits very well in what we're talking about right now. He says, the person who accepts his own suffering and does not try to repress it or push it away shows the power of hope. The person who accepts his or her or their own suffering does not try to repress it or push it away shows the power of hope. My story, boys and girls out there, is very flawed. I have screwed up more than I have been successful. But I feel like I've tried to remain on a trajectory of failing forward as I do this. And I remember earlier on in my Christian path, I used to, I ascribed to this idea that I think that had been pushed down my, my throat by evangelicals and conservatives that I was raised around, that this idea that there was a perfect path that God had for you, that if you step off that path like a tightrope, you are outside you're outside of God. And so it's like this tightrope walking act where you're constantly afraid if I'm making the right step. Am I making the step? Am I making the right step? Am I moving in the direction? Oh, no, no. Am I going to feel the coldness of being outside the realm of God? And it took me years to figure out there isn't a perfect path. There isn't a right path. There is a right now path where we are open and aware to what God is doing around us and us just trying to go and do that next good and righteous thing. That's what it is. Because Jesus doesn't, 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 doesn't call us to be perfect. Actually, when he called us, he said this. This is in John 21. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted to. But when you were old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to them, follow me. 
So he already sets us up for this. Be real, be raw, be screwed up, be yourself, because that is exactly what the world needs right now. We don't need any more fakers. We don't need any more Instagram influencers. We don't need any more celebrities telling us about their white privilege. We need you being you and being real and being honest and being loving and compassionate like Jesus right now where you are at. Because here, here, through the words of Henry Nouwen, what we need to remember to do as we follow Jesus. He said this, it is not simply a matter of renouncing your money, your possessions, or your intellectual formation, or your friends or family. For some people, it has indeed meant this, but only because they felt personally called to take that road. Each one of us has to seek out his or her own descending weight of love. That calls for much prayer, much patience, much guidance, and it has nothing at all to do with the spiritual heroics, dramatically throwing everything overboard to follow Jesus. The descending way is a way concealed in each person's heart. Meaning this, God will walk with you if you walk with God. If we are real and we are honest and open, with others. Some people may not want to walk with us. Some people may not want to deal with our honesty and vulnerability. But that's okay. Because if those people don't want to be around you, good riddance. Continue on. It is always better to travel when we travel light. And as we travel light, we travel with our stories. We travel with compassion. We travel with love. And we travel with the words of Jesus. And those are the words that are set to go and change us. Because as Christians, people who follow Jesus, we should be known as being a community of people of story, a community of truth, a community of honesty, a community of humility, a community of power. And in order, in order for us to be able to grab onto those things, we need to be charting new paths. We need to be praying new, bold prayers. We need to be looking at, at the world, not as it is, but where we think it should be. Like, as we protest, we can be mad about the things that piss us off, but let us continue to point to where we want to be, where we should be going. Where is that better tomorrow? Because when we speak in those terms, we are able to inspire people to see that there is more, to move from where they are at and begin on a path towards hope and what can be. And all of that, all of that, all of that, all of that does not start in positions of leadership. No, it starts in the small places. It starts in you learning to own who you are, learning to be real and honest and vulnerable to yourself first, then to God, and then to others. Because if we are able to step outside of the BS or the social media posturing or the politicizing of stuff or the religiousizing of stuff or theologizing, I don't know, so many sizings of things, yes. We need to be real 
we need to be honest and we need to seek goodness because that is going to be the way out of this. And I'm not saying that this is an easy road to be able to walk down because as you do this, you may lose friends. You may lose members of your family that don't get what you're doing. To be honest, I'll tell you this. I didn't lose them, but I remember when I, I was raised evangelical and conservative. When I really started taking Jesus seriously in my life in like my early 20s, outside the church seriously, like in my own self seriously, I really felt called to be able to step into ministry. And I remember my dad, <clears throat> my dad and mom, who my dad, who'd always been this example of the chairman of deacons, always involved in church, always had me at church, uh, pretty much Sunday mornings, Sunday nights, and Wednesdays, anytime something's going on, that was it there. And I told them this, I really feel like I called in ministry. And they're like, are you sure? Like, you know, you're never going to make any money doing that. Are you really wanting to do this? And for me, it was one of those times that was so weird and bizarre because I'm like, wait, you guys had like told me to go to church, to follow Jesus, do all this. You drug my ass to church even when, I, though I didn't want to always be there and told me to do all these things that they said to do. And now I'm actually doing the things Jesus tells me to do. And now you're like, mm, ah, me no likey. Yeah, uh, I'm not so sure about that people aren't always going to be on board with what you're doing. And that's okay. Because as you begin to walk down this path, you're going to, you're going to meet, you're going to meet other followers along the way. There may be people that you know. There may be people that have come through <laughs> that are authors. They are writers of scripture. They are other voices that will become part of you. They'll inspire you. They will speak to you. They will nourish you. They will continue to move you where you need to go. And I'm not saying this path of doing the right thing is always one that is littered with lots of people or it's one that is going to lead you to places of success. <laughs> this is probably not. I mean, Jesus modeled it very well, told us how to love others, how to treat others, how to deal with systems of power, and how to pull down uh, religious and pious bigots. But he never promised that this is going to be a road chalked with buddies and friends and one that sends, everyone's going to celebrate all the time. This is not the way it goes. No, that's okay. It's okay. It's okay. Because I know you can do it. Because your story, I don't know it yet. I liked, I loved it that Sarah, that I mentioned earlier in my show, shared part of her story with me. And that was powerful. And it inspires me. And it continues to encourage me to keep going. So, I don't know about you. I need to hear more stories. Who needs to hear your story? I'd love to hear your story. You want to send me your stories at questions at starkyfaith.com. But I'm also going to... I'm also going to make a very big assumption that there's people in your life that need to hear your story now. That owning our stories is also a pretty damn good form of protest and sharing our stories is a form of protest. So as we end this broadcast, just a reminder that you can catch us on podcast at www.snarkyfaith.com. And I just want to say that I appreciate all of you that just like you, I'm on a path. I'm learning to own this. I'm learning to walk it out. I'm not getting it right. I'm screwed up. <laughs> I'm hopefully fumbling forward. And I hope you are too. Because I believe in your goodness. I believe in your ability to tell stories that will change lives. I believe 
in your passion to stand up for what is right. So I send you out into the world and into this week with the holiest amount of grace and snark and peace. Go and fully be yourself, and that is enough. It is enough to make a difference. And I'm out of here. I'll catch you guys again next week. Peace!